0: down with DND Get down with DND Get down with DND' and down with D and down with DND down with D I'm down with D and down with D and D. Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am. I am joined, as I am always joined, by the Machiavellian, motivated and meticulous Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean?
1: I have three levels of fatigue, Chris. Three levels of fatigue.
0: <laughs> Isn't that like, oh man, what is the third level of fatigue? It's. Uh, 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 are you moving half speed yet? Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm always
1: moving half speed. There's nothing with that. <laughs> I think I'm probably like, at a disadvantage on my attack rolls at this point. Uh, but we're going to see if we can pull ourselves out of it.
0: Okay, let's see if we can pull ourselves out of it. So we're going to talk about low-level adventures today because we talked about high-level adventures last week. So before we get to that, let's do some announcements. Oh, let's do some announcements. So we're going to talk about watch Mordenkind's Mayhem on Mondays. What is Mordenkind's Mayhem? May it have something to do with March Madness? I believe it
1: does, Chris, Uh, since March and beginning of April is the NCAA tournament, and my bracket's already destroyed, so I'm not even going to talk about that.
0: Holy Lord, a 16 beat to one Oh, yeah.
1: So what Wizards is doing, as they have done in the past, is to create some sort of bracket of their own where they look at different things. And this year, they are looking at monsters. So they've hosted polls to see which creatures would advance through the elimination tournament. Um, sometimes they base it on combat prowess or popularity. Well, this time, they're doing something a little different they are showcasing members of the D&D team at Wizards of the Coast, using these fearsome creatures to battle one another to see which uh, person and which monster around the table will reign supreme. So they've taken eight roughly balanced creatures from Mordenkainen's of foes. So not only is it the little March Madness Mordenkainen Mayhem on Mondays, uh, it is also a preview of what will be in Mordenkainen's home of foes. I always want to say foam of toes, but
0: that's different. Uh, that would be a, a spoonerism. Exactly.
1: So what they're going to do on Mondays is live stream the battles with I believe uh, Chris Lindsay DMing and then one of the members of the D&D team will take, each, take a side and they will see who will be crowned champion after seven weeks of battles.
0: That's actually really cool. I'm very much digging that. I'll have to I assume they're on the YouTube or the Twitch channel that Watsy that has, so I can go back and watch them, right? I believe so.
1: They, they said I think it's going to be 5 uh, p.m. On Mondays on Twitch. Uh, you can check out the d Tw- Twitch channel to get that information for sure. But, yeah, th- I mean, this is obviously great. Rather than just doing polls as they've done in the past, they're going to combine all the great uh, flavors of media and D&D together to get streaming, to get some actual dice rolling at the table, to get a preview of upcoming uh, content. They're putting it all together into this neat little package. So I think it'll be something fun for everyone, even if you normally aren't into uh, streaming games or or watching uh, podcasts or watching live streams. This might be something you might be interested in. Uh, just because there's some actual dice rolling going on and some monsters hacking and slashing at each other. And people really get into these tournaments, uh, you know, even if they're not into watching D&D normally.
0: That's really cool. All right, second thing. DM David talks D&D hardcovers and the plight of DMs. I
1: swear every other episode I say how much I love DM David's stuff. Uh, so in the past, he's talked about this false perception that's out there in the D and D world, that linear adventures are somehow less than other kinds of adventures. And he's written articles about, you know, players really don't mind linear adventures for the most part. They, they like having, uh, what's that term, Chris, that when a player has, uh, there's a great term for it, Chris, uh, uh agency, agency players. Player agency. Agency. Yeah, sure. There yes. you go. Players want agency, But they don't mind linear adventures and he's he's shown that through various articles but what he's done now is he's looked at the hardcover releases the hardcover adventure releases from wizards to show how really they're just linear adventures but there seems to be the stigma about calling them linear adventures so they they kind of leave the dm in some cases hanging out to dry because they don't just say, yes, we're a linear adventure, so here's the best way to run it. And he shows the hoops which they've jumped through to try to avoid setting down the linear part of the linear adventure, even though in very subtle ways, they're just admitting their, their linear adventures by giving um, the suggested level that you run them through. Well, if you do that, you're basically saying this is when you should be running them. You're creating the line, but you're just not giving the blueprint that you should be giving so the DM can just easily pick up the adventure and run it.
0: So, yes. Um, My my whole take on this is that when somebody says they don't like linear adventures is that they don't like having choices taken away from them. So what I think players really want is adventures that have choices that matter towards the outcome Mm -hmm. in them, or at least choices that feel like they matter towards the outcome in them. And that's really what you get. If you design a linear adventure that is, you know, has the blueprint, the blueprint is like, well, here are the choice points and that's how they work with the materials. Like usually that's what the blueprint part is. It's like, here's your choice points and here's how they affect things going forward. So you can have lots and lots of player agency, lots and
1: lots of choice Uh, in the adventure and still have it be an adventure where, you know, the next
0: section is going to be, you know, go to this dungeon. Uh Uh-huh. And really, hopefully the things that you did in the previous Mm -hmm. section will either give you some advantage or disadvantage or information that you may or may not have had going into the next part of it, the, the
1: dungeon. Yep. There can be rewards and there can be consequences for your actions while you're still playing what is expected to come.
0: And I think that's what people really want. Like, I mean, some right. people want that sandbox, hex crawl, e- free exploration game, and that's fine. That's, right. that's cool. But I think the majority of D&D players, and I may be overstating here, do want that uh, linear adventure style that has agency within it. Right. And so what we're seeing with these adventures they're putting out, um,
1: and again, DM David does a great job of showing it you know, step by step each adventure, what the progression has been. But you know what they're doing is they're giving you the materials to build a house, and they're great materials, they're strong materials, but they're not giving you the blueprint. And they're saying, well, we don't want to tell the DM how to run the adventure, so we're going to give you all the materials, but we're going to leave out the the uh, the narrative string that could tie them all together, the blueprint. If we're going to use
0: this metaphor, of building a house, which is kind of silly, if you ask me. Like, haven't we said? When we review multiple of these hardcover books, where's the five page or four or six page chapter that's like, here's kind of what we intended. Yep. You don't have to do this, right. but if you're going to do it, here's the way that we think is this will right. work best. So give give the blueprint.
1: Give the blueprint. The DM, if if he or she wants to do use the materials to build something different than what you intended, they're going to do that anyway. By leaving out the blueprint, all you're doing is leaving behind all the DMs that might not have the time or the know-how or just the experience of putting that narrative together on their own. So there's no harm in giving that narrative. Uh, DMs that want to do their own thing, they're going to take those materials that you've you've given them and they're going to do
0: their own thing anyway. Yeah. Here, I'm going to do something blasphemous on this podcast.
1: Here we go, Chris. Do it.
0: Adventure paths from Pathfinder do this exceptionally well. There's usually six books. Each of the yep. books even says, like, here's kind of the path of how you get from the beginning of this to the end of this adventure. And then you'll go to the next adventure, which will once again give you the path for how you get to the beginning of this adventure to that adventure. When you yep. put them all together, they tell a complete story.
1: Yep. I mean, it's called Pathfinder for a reason. <laughs> they've created the path, and you just have to walk down it. And, you know, they do a great job with their adventures in exactly that, giving the DM everything he or she needs to actually run an adventure without having to read the whole book through twice and create this narrative on their own.
0: It's true. Um, It's true. Plus if they gave us the narrative in the book, the five or six pages that you really just need to be like, here's all the, how the pieces all fit together if you want to put it that way. But really here's how the, here are the pieces and a way that they can fit together. Like then you can actually see the pieces. That's why that little section that we keep complaining about. Why isn't it in these books should be in these books. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, absolutely. Yep. Are we good there? I'm good. All right. Let's talk about five generations of D design. So there was a panel at GaryCon. Why don't you tell me about it? Well, yeah.
1: It, it's a uh, they they being the Plot Points podcast or blog. Uh, we have a link in the show notes. Uh, recorded this panel at GaryCon 2018, where six designers who've worked on the D and uh, Iterations over the years. Skip Williams, John Pickens, Zeb Cook, and Stark, Steve Winter, and Mike Merles all sat down on the same panel to talk about the game design. So, you know, during the talk, there was a lot of good stuff. Uh, Mike Merles may very well have let slip what the next classic game world is going to be uh, coming out. I will leave that up to you to listen and figure out if you agree with that. But really, what I loved was you know, hearing the stories about the old days and today, um, talking about the game design issues they had back then, you know, the sources of the material that they were using while they were designing the game back from the very, you know, first edition, what what Gygax and Arneson were using to right up until fifth edition and and beyond what they're looking at now. Um, So, you know, if you're into that either old school stories about, you know, how the game was developed back then, or what I'm most interested in are the right now uh, stories that Mike Merles and and Steve Winter were talking about when they were talking about what went into the design, of fifth edition, Um, then this is something you're definitely going to want to listen to. It's two hours long, great information, interesting stories. Uh, You should check it out.
0: I'm going to have to listen to that. I really want to, I'll have to go. Uh, snatch it and yeah it's a podcast i could do that yep. and uh thanks to space rhino for pointing that uh
1: discussion out to us on the g plus community he's so good that
0: way i, I love when he does stuff like that
1: Yep, he and mr benensky are top notch
0: they really are and also real quick i mean from the hugabaloo that i've heard on the internet it sounds like it's some something like planescape or Spelljammer that everybody's thinking about like is the next thing between mordenkine's Tome of foes and a lot of other things. That seems to be the where they're they're aiming at, but we don't know for sure. I actually don't know. I have no idea with my I speculation. first to answer on the grounds I may incriminate myself. Yeah, that's that's fair, Sean. You don't have to say anything. I actually just don't know. All right. Well, let's do this now. Ah, on to our main topic. We're talking about low-level adventures. Sean, lead us in.
1: I thought my cat was rolling dice somewhere.
0: <laughs> it's amazing what happens when I hook up the soundboard.
1: It's crazy. Well, yeah, last week we talked about the joys and challenges and pitfalls of high-level adventures, and we got good feedback on the show. Uh, People seemed to really enjoy what we were discussing, and I thought, you know, these poor low-level adventures might all feel left out. After all, probably low-level adventures are run a thousand times more or are more likely to be played than high-level adventures, right? I mean, most campaigns will start at first level. And very few campaigns get anywhere even in the vicinity of a 20th level adventure. So low-level adventures are the ones that are going to get the most play. So they probably should be talked about and thought about a little bit more deeply uh, than they do. What do you think, Chris?
0: Um, Yeah, I actually do. Like, Come on, most of the adventures that are on the DMs Guild are low-level adventures. I mean, most campaigns peter out at around level 11, 12, 13, maybe. Really, a lot Mm -hmm. of them peter out at around 7 or 8, right? That's right, so why don't we get into it? Let's uh start, I guess, with the scope of play, like we did last time. So, what's uh, what's tier yep. one? Yeah, this is just a little refresher about what we talked about last time. Tier one,
1: we we are usually looking at local threats. You are in the town, you're in the village, and there's something going on that you need to investigate. Usually, unless you're running a planescape uh
0: campaign, you're not traveling the planes at first level, well, even so. T- yeah so, yeah, so even okay. in Planescape, you're just in Sigil, usually, right? Right. Yep.
1: And yeah, yeah, usually you're investigating something weird going on there that will become planar, but still it's a local threat. Um there's just this one thread that you're following. And you're trying to save the town at
0: two. Mm-hmm. So Tier 2, Tier two right. is regional threats. That's save the kingdom or a large city that's, you know, dealing with uh, dukes and lords and ladies and their problems and, you know, or cords that are rampaging across the countryside to wreck everything or, you know, shadowy coups that are about to occur or uh, even, you know, incursions from the underdark from from races trying to do things, mm-hmm. right? Sure.
1: Yeah. And then tier three, we, we jump up and now we're talking about threats to the entire region or to the world. Um, So this is, you know, levels 11 through 16 Mm -hmm. where you really notch up the the power level of the character and you notch up the level of the threat uh,
0: respective of their power. Mm -hmm. And then tier four, are planner threats, this is save everything, save the universe, save. If you're, if your tier three was save the region, then your tier four is save the world. You know, like uh, if your tier three was save the world, then your tier four should be save everything. This is really getting into planner exploration. In a lot of cases, fighting gods and archdemons demons, and you know, Asmodi. You know, all those Asmodius. Asmodi is a game company. Asmodius is the actual <laughs> lord of the nine hells. Although you, you know, know. S- somebody might need to fight Asmodi too. <laughs> That's true because they're they're, they're really, really taking over. They everything. certainly are. Wow, that was like a. Complete Floridian Slip right there. (laughs) But that is is tier four. Like save your crystal sphere so it doesn't end your reality. Sure.
1: So we've got the tiers all laid out. So now what you want to do is for low-level adventures, obviously we're talking about tier one or maybe the beginning of tier two. So you want to come up with threats and
0: plots that match that scale. Mm Mm-hmm. And you want to make those initial threats, uh, dealt with by the characters reasonable and manageable on that smaller scale. So, you know, what kind of challenges are we talking about? Right. We're talking about,
1: um, challenges and then also not just the challenges on that scale, but your stakes and your consequences should be commiserate with that smaller scale. Mm -hmm. Um, the only, you don't want to go too small though. You don't want this to become trivial. I still think back to the Baldurs Gate video game where you've got those fetch quests at the beginning, where <laughs> you know, go find the book in the haystack sort of thing. Um, that might be a little too low. You still want there to be real consequences for failure, but those consequences aren't earth-shattering. They're just shattering in the smaller realm that the characters dwell in at this point. So maybe if you fail, the inn gets burned down and the inn is the only place where you can get a good meal or a good
0: night's sleep. Mm-hmm. And that, th- right. I was going to say, and then the, uh, the people that work there and the, the innkeeper and in them, if they're not dead, they might either be bitter or out of work, or that's a whole other problem that you might have to take care of if you care about those people.
1: Mm-hmm. So you know, but those those consequences are are commensurate with the uh, the power level that you're working with and the challenges that you're facing.
0: But yeah. it, it's so- also rewards, I believe, Chris. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, so, like, think about the mayor um, or rich merchant. Like, those are the kind of people that can that can be useful to you low level adventurers like so if you do something for them they are friends of yours now they owe you a favor they are more willing to give you more work in the future um, they're very similar to having things like a king or a demigod at higher levels there's also that idea like Sean was talking about consequences and rewards later like if you choose to help the rogues guild instead of helping the wizards guild then the rogues will view you favorably in the future where the wizards will either um be upset with you or they won't care about you in the future they will unless you do something else for them. So that's a way to think about your sponsors and patrons and, and allies for your NPC for your PCs at lower levels. Like that's the things that you do for them that should matter going forward. And and think about how the player characters treat them also. Like the interactions become very important because this is about forming personal relationships in a lot of cases Yep. along with what you're doing for them. Right. If say you're running a campaign where you have a
1: special house rule where uh, the only way to get magic items is to find them or to go through the Wizard's Guild. Um, and that, now there's a war between the Wizard's Guild and the Thieves' Guild. Uh, and you are making those choices. That's a big consequence based on that choice. Because if you upset the Thieves' Guild, you're going to have assassins after you um, You know, for your next six levels. If you upset the Wizard's Guild, uh, say kiss your potions of healing goodbye. Yeah, that'd be kind of a problem, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it could be. And and that's assuming that you're able to then limit, you know, those those uh, the acquisition of, of potions in other ways. But that's a real-life consequence that is important for Tier 1 characters.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, where do you want to go next with this?
1: Well, I just wanted to say that, you know, in the overall scope of the game, low-level characters are kind of odd ducks because – compared to your normal, you know, tavern servant or innkeep or just farmer, they are super powerful beings, right? They can shoot fire out of their hands and they can do things with a sword that you never th- would think possible. But in terms of the rest of the game, they're really quite squishy at first and second level. You know, one good swipe from uh, a weapon can take out your wizard or your rogue. Um, so it's, it's hard at lower levels to sometimes get the right feel
0: for just where these characters belong in, in the world that they're in. Does that make sense? Well, it completely makes sense. And I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, so um, whatever adventure that you're running, like, I feel like it should reflect the status, uh, that status, this idea that Sean just run up um, as an anomaly, but it's, it it it's this thing where like you can still get murdered, like as low level characters, like an orc can just kill you. Like you're not a a peasant, but like if you get critted, you can die at like level one or two. It's just a thing that can happen.
1: Yep. So, so um, yeah, depending on the the setting of the the game that you're playing in, um, that that could also change because if you if you're in a very high magic setting where lots of people are adventurers or at least class beings. Um, then then there's a spot for them uh whereas if you do something like dark Sun where there might be low magic uh these 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 beings these characters as beings within within the setting are probably a little more reverential or people are a little
0: more reverential towards them mm, that makes perfect sense absolutely yep um I also like uh you want to talk about how like you should see these things yeah.
1: The, the one thing about, especially if you're running a campaign, is that you really want to plant some seeds that will become full-grown plot plants uh, later, Tier 2 and Tier 3 or even Tier 4. Um, so make sure as you're thinking about your low-level adventure, you throw in those details that could be used later. Um, it could be just... M- Naming a couple of NPCs who might not be important now, and the, the PCs might not even speak with them, but they're there. And then you can use that later, and th- they'll be anchored uh, in the player's minds at, at low levels. And you can do the same thing with NPCs, you can do the same thing with themes. So you could have a theme of uh, plague, or you could have a theme of famine. And it doesn't have to play out yet, but you could say, oh, and by the way, the next town over, none of the farms are, are growing anything. It doesn't affect the players now. doesn't affect the setting now. But when you get to tier two and the players go off to the dungeon and come back, and then the town that they're in also has this plague, you've just planted that seed. And give yourself as many seeds as you want, because if you don't use them, that's okay. Uh, players will forget about it and nothing will come of it but if if the players bring it back up or if it's something that neatly dovetails into the adventures that you want to run then you'll always have that there to to
0: pull out of your bag it's true it's very effective too um i like that idea of the plague too because if you want to you can even tie your adventures currently into that if you want to come later because like that dungeon that you go into if there's something that is that is a part of the plague that is causing whatever the, the dungeons reason for existing to, uh, to be attractive to the adventurers. then that also ties into what's going on later. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, it's, it's almost better if you don't beat the drum too much,
1: but just give it that mention. Um, because then it doesn't have to be something that you focus on and you're not throwing everything at the players all at once. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it becomes a deluge, uh, you know, rather than a nice trickling stream that they can follow.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like the only thing in that dungeon is like, oh, the the thing that is the problem is the the thing that has also got contracted the plague, or even like it could be a, a sidebar in that that dungeon, right? right? Like, why is there this 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 uh, rotted um, wheat and whatnot, which is actually what caused the things in the dungeon to to come on out and like start attacking people, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I I love doing stuff like that. All right, let's uh let's move on to another thing. So when we're talking about higher level adventures, the players can often bring their own fun to the table. So like that's the idea of the tricks that they can, you know, pull off with their characters. The things that they can do, the resources that they have at their disposal. They have a lot of high powered stuff. But at lower levels, the characters have fewer tricks and fewer options. So sometimes within adventures you have to provide those little tricks and fun stuff. Sean, give us some examples. All right, so I, I swear this comes up in at least every campaign I run for new players.
1: It's you're in the bar, and there's a chandelier, and a fight breaks out. Just by putting that chandelier there, you know what's coming. Someone's going to be swinging from that chandelier at some point, because that's what chandeliers in fantasy are for. And so what that does is if you have a, a combat in that, bar, you know, with the local thieves guild, rather than at first level it turning into a you know, I roll to to hit with my sword, I roll to hit with my sword, I roll to hit with my sword, and you just do that for twelve rounds. Um putting these other things in, these casks that can be thrown, chandeliers to swing from, torches to be used, um Mm -hmm. it breaks up the monotony of that lower level of spamming the one attack I have and giving options to create a more fun, uh, more robust encounter for, for the players.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, Another one is setting features that can turn a round after round of combat into something different. So, like that, that thing that Sean was talking about before, that I attack, I attack, I attack, and then you just go back and forth rolling dice and standing toe to toe, which can be fun in some, in some ways, especially if you like to describe how you're doing the, the, um you know, the, the rope a dope, not rope a dope, the, uh, the punch back and forth boxing match. Like that can always be a fun situation. But we like to have things that are beyond that. Like, um, for instance, there's a ballista, a repeating ballista on a tower that's shooting people, right? Like, well, what if you get at that ballista and start using it? Because you see it does a whole lot of damage, especially for a low-level yeah. character. Like, that's a cool thing to have yeah. as part of an encounter.
1: One of the things is you cannot be subtle with these special offerings. Um, sometimes just mentioning that it's there will be enough. But oftentimes people are so focused on their character sheet that when you describe these these things, they really don't
0: click with the idea that, oh, my gosh, I could use this. And so how, how do we fix that? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the tricks is um, you can have NPCs use the trick so that the PCs know they can do it. For instance, the ballista—like, oh look, the bad guy's got the ballista and is shooting it. But you know, if you go and kill the bad guy and take over the ballista, yep. you could probably use it.
1: And just make sure that the yeah, make sure that the I mean, players are not the ones or their their characters are not the ones getting hit by the ballista that's doing like two d twenty damage. Um, you know, have it be yeah, they're being shot at but missed, and these ballista uh, bolts are just destroying. The wall next to them uh, they get the idea pretty quickly
0: uh-huh or have the ballista shoot somebody else the first time if you want it to seem like a threat first so then you know it's it's a thing to, it's a it's a part of the encounter that the PCs should be dealing with and then possibly using because you know take the ballista over and then shoot the shoot the dragon because you know that's the only way you fight like a small dragon at higher yep. at lower levels uh,
1: so there are so many examples of these bells and whistles that you can add to combat. We gave just a few, but I'm sure, you know, if, if on the G Plus community we put up something where it said, give, you know, talk about some ideas or, or adventures you played or adventures you've made that have some of the stuff that the, the NPCs or the PCs can use to make a battle interesting, we get a ton of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's one thing. Absolutely. Uh, the other is to make the terrain a part of the battle. And Love that! Stuff. It doesn't, don't just put a plop some difficult terrain down there, but actually make it uh, so it's fun and engaging and moves the combat in different directions within the combat. Um, so you know, have something in the room that's moving. Uh, a machine is is cranking and whirling and moving. So you have to if you you know, and you turn too close to it, there's a chance it's going to come up next to you. That keeps players guessing and moving rather than just standing next to the monster and the monster standing next to the adventure and them just beating each other while the ranged uh, PCs snipe. You know, this makes people move. It makes people think and adds a great narrative flavor uh, to your description of your combat.
0: I agree. I, I mean, I love terrain, right? Like terrain's great. Yeah. I mean, you, we even talked about it before. Like the bell and whistle thing with the um, chandelier, that's like a terrain feature, right? Yep. Um, stairs having three-dimensional terrain, so there's high-low ground, that helps a lot. Having um, yep. ropes that are possibly able to be swung off of. Like there's a thousand versions of this, right? Absolutely. Um, just a pit in the middle of the room can change the how a, a fight goes, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. As long as you make it clear that
1: the pit is a good... Um, you know, is a good option because what I've seen is, and, and, and this is actually funny. Now that I think about it. What I've seen is I will run an adventure with experienced players and new players together. And I will put something like you said, Chris, I will put a pit in the center of the room, a 10 foot deep pit. And the new players will get all excited and I'll be like, Ooh, I want to push the, the monster into the pit. And, the experienced player will sometimes go well you know your strength is only 10 and so it's going to be this roll to you have to make but if you cast your spell you know that you have a better chance of hitting and you're doing a d10 rather than a d6 if you you know and and they start doing that
0: mm-hmm.
1: so what you have to make it clear is that this option that you're giving is at least as powerful if not more than the
0: option on their character sheet mm-hmm especially for like things that wouldn't be able, it, like for instance the pit was useful like one it's useful as a terrain feature to change how the the fight works right like now we have this pit especially with the bigger pit in the middle that you have to maneuver around um the other one the other thing is like knocking something into the pit that can't get out of the pit that basically takes that creature out of the fight there you go so that that is those are yep. ways to those are just two ways for that particular example. So that's the thing what Sean said is the thing that you want to think about. How do you make it as attractive or more attractive? Right. Um yep. and if you have to improvise on the fly while doing this stuff while running these kinds of adventures, then think then use that as your guideline. How can it be as attractive or more attractive than what they could normally do? Yep. Uh next another thing that you can do is make sure that the trick speeds things up rather than slowing things down, so you don't want to make the fight drag out or the combat drag out or the encounter drag out by the the tricks that you're throwing into the uh into the encounter and this kind of goes to what Sean already said like the option that you are taking has to be as attractive or more attractive than your attack roll than your than the, any of the resources that you can bring to bear on the fight so if you have an idea.
1: I'm gonna use fog, for example, to, to make this encounter more interesting. What fog generally does rather than, than make an adventure or an encounter cooler is just make it slower. It does. Because people will be attacking with disadvantage at some points and trying to fight and and it could be cool, especially if it's a, a you know, if it would normally be a one or two round fight and you make it a four round fight instead, cool. Go for it, but if it would normally be a, a you know eight to ten round fight, and you're making it a twenty round fight, and people are just missing right and left because they have no way of of finding their enemy, and so mechanically you're just giving everyone disadvantage
0: and making things slower.
1: Uh, think of a think of a different way to
0: to do that, or think about the call that you can make on the fly to make that more interesting or more quick or more fun. So like instead of it being I mean, I think it's about disadvantage, but usually when you're in fog, if you're standing next to somebody, I think you have normal, you don't suffer that.
1: Right. But if you're a range.
0: Yeah. If you're at range, it's a problem. Yeah. Um, like you can think about like the fog becomes an obstacle in some way. So then it's like, how can we get rid of the fog? Like that's, somebody cast a fire spell, it burns away all the fog, right?
1: That's exactly it. What you do then is you say, well, the enemy can see you just fine for some reason, but you can't see the enemy. But you see grates along the floor and levers around the room. Then oh, they have to start moving over, switch, flipping the levers to see which one will turn on the fan uh, that will suck the fog out of the room,
0: or you know if somebody just decides to cast burning hands and burn away the fog, or yeah, or that,
1: and that's that's equally justifiable and making them use spells in a way that they normally wouldn't to overcome an
0: obstacle. Yep. So, uh, so okay. So the tricks then, the tricks are then one about providing more more things to overcome in the encounter. They're about um, giving interesting options for the player characters to access that are as good or um, better than their current options. Yep. Right. So far, those are the two things that we've hit. Yep. Um, uh, what? I, I what was, was the next thing? Yeah, I was going to say if you do add things to a combat
1: or you know any encounter, and you're doing it on the fly, make it. Something that can be done in one or at the most two rolls Uh, Mm -hmm. rather than having, you know, I want to pick up this barrel and throw it. Okay, give me a strength check. Oh, uh, I made the strength check. Okay, now give me an attack roll to throw it. Okay, I made my attack roll. Okay, now I'm going to give the monster a uh, a dexterity saving throw to avoid it. So you have basically made have to have three successful checks to do just this one attack. So rather than doing that, just have it be one check, or at the worst, have it be opposed rolls. So the players are rolling to, you know, to make the strength check, while the acrobatics check uh, will be the defense for the monster. Um, That's at least happening at the same time, and you can just compare the numbers and get to the get to the answer. Uh, So don't make it, don't string it along. Where roll after roll after roll either has to succeed or fail in order for the effect to,
0: to happen. Have it be one or the other. I agree. Uh, let's, let's take your barrel example, your cask example, because I like it, and talk about the, one, some of the right ways to do it. So I'm going to go over and pick up this cask and throw it at a monster or a bad guy. Uh, I, as a game master, dungeon master, I'm going to say, all right, what's your strength? Your strength's like a 10. Well, all right. I'm going to give the monster, like you pick up the cask and throw it at the monster. I'm going to give the, the monster a, a dexterity saving throw with advantage because you aren't, aren't all that strong. But if your strength was over a, 15, a 14, then I'd be like, well, I'm going to let the monster make that dexterity saving throw with uh, normally. And if your strength was like way higher, then I'm going to make it uh, the, the monster roll with disadvantage, right? Like I'm just going to sure. make calls based on yeah. that stuff. But that was one roll, right? right? And that's yeah. the idea. Um, I also think if it takes more than one round of actions to do the thing, then the effect should be much, much more massive in, uh, cause you have to think of then, like, if, if it's going to take more than one round and that character could have done multiple things in that round, in those two rounds, then you have to have the effect be equal to those two rounds worth of, of stuff. Plus Check. maybe a little bit. Oh, more. absolutely. And, and that same, uh, that same philosophy goes to
1: players or characters working together for an effect. You know, uh-huh, it's, it's uh-huh. the same thing, whether the same character takes multiple rounds to do one thing or everyone gives up their action that round to do to do one thing together. Then you can absolutely mm-hmm. say rather than just doing this D8, which I had thought you're all getting together to do this. So there's five of you. Let's do five D8 if you all are able to make your rolls.
0: Yeah, and there's um, there's actually a baseline for that in the game already. It's called the the eight action like if you aid somebody it gives advantage. So that's like your baseline for like how some of that stuff works. It basically lets you hit better, right? But you can uh you can you can also modify from there as Sean said, like if everybody is helping, you know, dump this giant pile of rocks over the wall on the on the the we'll say orcs climbing up the side of the wall, then maybe you get advantage and you get an extra d8 rock damage for every person that helped flip the rocks over the side. Yep. Uh all right, cool. So that's the the bells and whistles stuff, the 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 bringing, the, the, how you can provide little tricks to the table. Let's talk about creating right. adventures for low level. So when you're creating your adventure, especially when I say low level, most of, my, most of the time my mind
1: goes to first level. So uh, mm-hmm. when you start doing your planning for your first level adventure, think about the characters that you're going to be running for, assuming that you know who they are. And work in their flaws and their traits and their bonds as much as possible into that first, uh, you know, the first encounter or the first little string of encounters, the first adventure whatever. Um, because that will really draw them in thinking about the adventure as more than just a series of combats. They will have more at stake.
0: That's completely fair. Yeah. Um... I always like to ask questions of the characters and make notes about them, so that when I see an opportunity, in an adventure, especially if it's not one that I wrote, then I can just drop that stuff in there. Uh, I do that a lot for for AL play. Like I will ask the characters who they are, uh, what you know, what faction they're from, like what they look like, and then I'll ask them what are they doing wherever they are. Because uh, it's Chult lately. It's been like, what are you doing in Chult? Like, why are you here? Like, what what is your purpose in being in Chult? And I've gotten some pretty fun and interesting answers but then i can slide that stuff into the adventure right and if you're creating an adventure and you don't know who your characters are going to be um as chris said you know ask
1: them beforehand but also think about the factions um how can they as a member of a faction have a bigger stake in the adventure that they're about to play that's what factions Mm -hmm. are good for is creating connections where there wouldn't otherwise be connections but you can do the same thing with Um, if you have clerics or paladins, you could do, you know, what God do you worship? Oh, well, you know what? The high priest's, uh, daughter is actually in town and, uh, she, you heard, she might have gotten into trouble. Um, and you may come across that during playing, you know, rescuing the daughter of the high priest from the trouble that she's in, whatever that trouble might be, might reflect well on you with, within your church. Um, you know, all of those things can be connections, uh, to just bring the character further and further into the
0: entwining
1: elegance of your adventure.
0: Absolutely. Um I also like to do the thing where I I, uh I make adventures and encounters themed and interesting to the current adventure or the ongoing campaign. So if it's um if like we talked about disease, the 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 disease thing before, that's a theme, right? This this disease, this uh this being ground down by external forces this decay basically um this this outside force harming um people from being infected so i'm going to try to drop that kind of stuff into my adventure in certain spots and and drop that stuff into my adventures going forward if that's a theme of my campaign so it's another way to think about um especially for the the low level stuff to make it very themy and uh, when you create your encounters, whether
1: they be combat or role-playing or, um, <clears throat> excuse me, interaction or, or however exploration, give goals to the characters that they can accomplish in different ways. Um, so they might be able to talk their way through something rather than fight their way through something. Or they may choose to fight when you think maybe talking is better but fighting is still an option. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't hem them in. You can always have a, a way that you think will work, but give them the tools to, to do things in other ways.
0: Uh, On that same note with giving goals that can be accomplished in other ways. Also think about if there's just a goal, like there's multiple ways to, um, Sean just said this, give goals that can be accomplished in a variety of ways, but, um, Man, I was listening to what you're saying, but it sounded like you can give like multiple goals, but that's not exactly what you said. You said actually give goals that can be accomplished in multiple ways. Uh, and I was going to say the exact same thing. Like if if I was going to do the example part of it, which is like, say there's a trapped room and the trap is like in effect and it's a complex trap and there's like a, a methodology to, to disabling the trap. But the par- player characters are like, well, we have this thing that will let us bypass the trap if we spend this resource. I'm like, well, in that case, if you're going to spend this pretty potent resource, assuming it's a pretty potent resource, then they should just bypass that. Or if they're like, well, instead of like doing the clever thing to disable the trap, we're going to brute force our way through it, then they brute force their way through it. It's probably going to cost them some resources or time or possibly um, a an amazingly good role. Like the game is built that way too, right? right. So there's, there's the example that goes along with that, give goals that can be accomplished in a variety of ways. Right. And you can also give, I, I would suggest give competing goals per se. But you can give
1: a gradation of goals. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you you you're trying to do this by entering the dungeon. Although if you do this, you know you're you're trying to kill the evil necromancer. Um, although, really, just saving the prisoners is what you're being asked to do. Um, so you can give different goals and then give. Um, you know, different options for doing those goals and at some point they might need to make a choice whereas you can hear the screams of the prisoners this way but you just saw the evil necromancer go the other way uh, you know, which way do you go you're not going to be able to do both and that can make an interesting choice
0: and still uh, you know, be fulfilling for the players absolutely all right, another thing you can do when creating adventures for low levels, uh, when you're creating strings of encounters, that must, uh, when you're creating these encounters, create strings of them. Like they have to be done. Like here's, like here are the things that you got to do to get to the end of the adventure. But if they want to take a rest, make sure there are consequences for that. So like, sh- there's a, there's two types of rest in this game. There's short rest and long rest. They both mean different things. Like sometimes if the player characters are like, well, we're going to take a long rest that really means that they just failed the adventure because they didn't complete, because uh, the timer on it like ran out. The bad guys moved on, did something else, accomplished their goals before the player characters could stop them. If it's a short rest, it just makes things possibly harder later. Uh, that is a possible possible thing that could be done. Uh, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And don't be afraid to mess around with the timing as well
1: uh, of rest, because while it says you need an hour for a short rest, um, you don't have to take out the stopwatch and say, well, it has to be a full hour. Yeah. If it makes sense in the story that you're telling and the players are really, really down on resources, but they, they know there's, they're on a really tight clock for some reason, you could always say, you know what, you, you, you've, you've caught your breath, um, so everyone can use a hit die but you don't get any of the resources back that you normally would for a short rest. You, know, you can play around with that to still make it a resource management game, but still fit it into the framework of the story that you're telling as a group.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I, I think next what I wanted to talk about was, uh, this is kind of a table management thing when you're creating adventures, uh, but what you want to do is... After assuming you've had your session zero, which we've talked about uh, many times on the show, and you know what mm-hmm. kind of game the group wants to play, create your adventure so that it highlights the kind of play that you, that the group wants Absolutely. and that you yeah, want from. Completely. The group, and then reward, and then reward that that type of play. So, if you're running a game where you want the players to play. Pay, Pay close attention because there are sort of puzzly elements um, and you want them to feel rewarded for figuring things out on their own without you having to tell them. Um, start right from the very first adventure with that sort of play and then reward that um, enforce that. You want players to pay attention while you're reading box text. Uh, or well, while you're describing someone or something or while an NPC is talking and giving it vital information, uh, right from the start, have dire consequences for the players and their characters if they fail to listen carefully. So if the, um, if the NPC is telling the players, oh, yes, and the password to get through this door in the dungeon is Excalibur, and no one writes it down, and they don't listen. And then they go into the dungeon, and they're like, oh, yeah, the door. There was a password. Oh, man, I don't remember. Make those consequences dire because you're going to be playing with this group, maybe if it's a campaign, for, you know, 10, 20, 30 sessions. Let them know right now. I'm not going to tell you what this was. You pay attention or, you know, or things are going things are going to go wrong.
0: Yes. Those are things that you should do, right? Like you should enforce the kind of play that you want at the table, like with, by rewarding it. And you should not reward the kind of play that you don't want at your table. I mean, this, we've talked about that stuff before, right? But that is the, uh, that is a thing that you, you should constantly be doing in your adventure design too. And when you're running the game, you're, when you're improvising. Uh, it might even help to write write a uh, a note or two at the top of some of your notes or your your dungeon master screen or whatever. So if you're ever wondering or you're you're kind of lost for what to do, just look at that and that'll give you an idea of what you should be pushing at. Um, I like giving goals in combat that are something other than killing. Like there can be a fight going on, but the fight is really secondary to what's going on to what's actually going on. So like you're fighting. A bunch of cobalts but really you're trying to untie these two people that are tied to a uh, crystal that's sucking out their souls and then escaping with them right like that is a goal <laughs> other than killing the cobalts because the cobalts will just keep coming because there's always a million cobalts right Sean? right
1: yeah. uh, that's what i've heard
0: yeah so like the 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 moral of that example is like make the goal very clear and provide unmistakable ways to accomplish those goals that don't rely pure purely on character abilities like if they want to spend their resources to help that should give them some advantages but really we're talking about skill checks and ability checks yep
1: yeah and obviously this is good advice for any adventure design but at lower levels um, you can make what would might be an, an uninteresting encounter more interesting by doing that whereas at high levels they can just cast wish and, you know, all the, the gems blow up, um, where at low levels, they actually have to go through the process of rescuing the prisoners whose souls are being sucked by the gems, um, you know, in a more methodical and planned
0: way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, like those low level adventures will lead to hints about how to deal with those higher level adventures, right? Absolutely. All right. So what's our last thing? Well, the last thing is rewards, and if you've listened to me talk at any point
1: on any show I've ever been on, I'm a, a big proponent for not over-rewarding players in terms of magic uh, too soon. So what you can do at lower levels is when you create your adventure, rather than handing, them, handing out the plus three Holy Avenger you know, at first level, Start giving rewards in pieces that can be put together just like a quest to let them know a greater reward is coming, but not to give them everything right up front. So instead of the plus three Holy Avenger, maybe in the cobalt layer, they find a hilt and the hilt has markings on it that make it look like it's the sword of this famous paladin uh, who supposedly disappeared 200 years ago. Now you've got his hilt. The next dungeon you go through, you find a silver blade, but no hilt. And sure enough, there are markings on it. Now you're getting the idea is, oh, this is probably a powerful thing. And I am going to be able to put it together at the end of a certain amount of time to have this great item. It's still a reward and it's still exciting. In fact, it's even more exciting because you know tantalizingly that it's going to be something
0: really great at the end. What do you think? I think that's amazing. Like, that's the thing that you want to do. I love all this stuff, right? This also has a, a side effect of, um, once you've given out a couple of pieces, the player characters might latch on to it and mm-hmm. be like, "Well, let's research this. Let's go find the rest of it. Like, we we want this thing now. It matters to us because we found a couple of pieces. We've done some of some preliminary research. We know it belongs to a to a, pal- a famous paladin. We have a paladin in our party, and. This is probably a very powerful, holy relic of the church and a very nice tool that we could have in our disposal, like especially if it's in our paladin's hands. Mm-hmm. So now it's uh, an adventure that the player character is going to go after all on their own if they choose to. And if they don't, then you don't actually have to give them the rest of it. Right. And you can have consequences for those choices. Um, mm-hmm. You know that the final bit of
1: this is a magical gemstone that goes in the pommel of the, of the uh, sword. And you know that it's probably in this dungeon over there, but the real threat, the thing causing the plague in the town is in the opposite direction. So if you go get the sword, it will help you during this final battle, but then you are wasting time to do that. And what are the consequences that of is that. correct, so you have all these moving pieces and consequences and you know character connections and and all of these things that come into play by giving all of these options like we talked at the very beginning about planting those seeds um so now you've got all these these seeds that you can
0: grow yeah that's that's the kind of stuff that I love right like it's 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 story based and it's mechanically based in the game. Like it's two pieces that kind of go together. And then there's like, for lack of a better term, fronts moving around in the background. Mm-hmm. Like that there is, a, I love that stuff. I mean, it makes the campaign world and the campaign that you're running or that I'm running or any of us running feel alive. Right.
1: I just want to go run a low level campaign now, Chris.
0: Yeah, me too. But All I right. think, I think that's good. I think we should probably get yeah. out here. Right. Absolutely. Well, thank everyone so much for listening. And here's a few Patreon shout outs. John, just John, Jean Lorbert. Uh, Steve Bisante, Mike Amir, Space Rhino, the aforementioned, Robert Aducci, Jeff Stevens, M.T. Black, Cindy Moore, Michael Bauman, Derelict Radio, uh, Jay Kemberling, Troy Pitchelman, Jason Pitt, Donahue McCarthy. Thank you all so much for being our patrons. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with DD, you can get a cl- you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for two dollars a month, you can get yourself a shout out. For four dollars a month, Chris, is that correct? Four dollars. Yeah, I mean, okay. So in the in the not too distant future, we're going to sort of readjust some of our our patron stuff so that um the levels are all two, four, and ten. Gotcha. That'll so be for, happening very shortly. So for one million dollars, one million dollars, you can you can get this shout I mean, out. Me and Sheldon just hang out with you. Yeah, that's true. We'll just come to your place for one million dollars. Run games for you, absolutely. Professional
1: professional game master there for you. you know. That's all. Uh, well, but if you don't have $1 million to hand over, we'll take $4 a month and give you shout-outs like that, but also you get our pre-production show notes.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. Yeah, those
1: help us, even if you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, because many podcasters use Apple Podcasts to rate and rank shows. So it would make us more visible if you could go give us a five-star review. We'd appreciate it.
0: Mm-hmm. And we would very much appreciate it. Well, with that, Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you know, you can find me on Twitter at Sean
1: Merwin, or better yet, on the Down with the G Plus community where we discuss certain topics like the ones we did today. Absolutely. But you, Chris? Where
0: can we find you? Uh, you can hit me up at Misdirected Mark on Twitter, or just go to the website where you can catch other great shows such as this one, Cypher Speak. The Cypher Speak podcast is an engaging discussion that covers the evocative and inclusive settings of the Cypher system. Darcy and Troy are entertaining co-hosts who offer GM advice and ideas for use in your games. Down with d is a misdirected mark production of the media arm of encoded designs. Uh, so what are we going to do now, Sean? We're going to go kill some low-level monsters. you down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. you down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Can't you know me? Get down with D&D. With D&D? Yeah, you, know you down with D&D? Yeah, you down with D&D? I'm down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me.